Sal Berry. That's Mr. Dork to you. And Tim Parrish. Would you give up your phone for $1 million? I'd give up my phone probably for $100. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about some of the trades and free agent signings that have happened in the NHL over the past couple of weeks. We're also going to talk about the upcoming National Sports Collectors Convention, which is taking place in Chicago. And we're going to talk about my new latest obsession, which is the Puck Doku online hockey grid style game. So we're going to talk about these fun topics today. Tim, how you doing? You uh, you went on a vacation. I did go on a vacation. Far, far away. Do you feel recharged? Uh, no. I feel nope. tired. Really? From a vacation? Yeah. You kind of have to come back from vacation to actually get a vacation from the vacation. So it's one Where of those you, uh... ironies. Went with the extended family, went to, uh, got a house down on the beach in the Outer Banks in North Carolina on Kill Devil Hills and uh, spent the week. So it was nice. So you were on the beach? Um, probably eight of the 10 days we were there, yes. Did you buy a shirt that says Life's a Beach? I did not because it's not 1989. So I did not buy that. Did you take a photo of like your feet pointing towards the ocean? I also did not do that because I'm not, I'm not my mother taking pictures for her Facebook page. She doesn't know how to use. So um, I believe it or not, I didn't, I took hardly any pictures. In fact, the nice thing about this trip for me personally, I didn't take very many pictures. And the reason why is because I put my phone down and I barely touched it the entire time I was gone. And that was nice. That was super nice. No checking emails, no checking social media, no checking text messages, answering phone calls, dealing with, you know, telemarketers calling all the time, whatever. It was nice to just completely separate from that for a while. That is nice. Yeah. And then at the end, I realized I actually don't really miss it. So... People always ask, would you give up your phone for $1 million? I'd give up my phone probably for $100. <laughs> What'll 50 get me? <laughs> yeah. So you had a vacation, and that's that's always nice. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the slow season in hockey. But I want to just mention that the Puck Junk online shop is got a new address. I'm still selling online. But now I'm selling my shirts online at Etsy. So the address for that is Etsy.com slash shop slash puck junk. And I'll make sure that all the links that say shop.puckjunk.com redirect to the Etsy store. And I'll also be launching another shirt soon. More on that later. Don't want to oh talk boy. about it right now. But it's oh, be, a secret shirt. It's, it's going to be a does good it, one. It, does it say life's a beach? It does not. But I'll oh. say this. It is not hockey related but Uh-oh. it is card collecting related and that's all i'm going to say right now because i actually want to debut it at the national maybe i'll put a sneak peek of it out early but when i have it in hand maybe but i'll definitely have a new shirt to sell at the national Sweet. and 
The other thing is that I'm going to be doing a giveaway. I've wanted to do this for a while. So what I decided to do is I made up a set of six cards called the Puck Junk Bad Hockey Card Hall of Fame Trading Card Set. This is Series 1. So there are six cards. There's five cards plus a header card and a checklist. The front has a scaled-down version of the card in question that we're talking about. So the front has an image of the card that we're talking about. And the back has a write-up about why that is one of the worst hockey cards ever made. So the front has like a little picture of the hockey card and the Puck Junk logo, and it says Bad Hockey Card Hall of Fame. And then on the back, it has a write-up about that card and why it's just a terrible card. I made up 500 sets. They're free. Come to the National. Come by my booth. I'm going to be at booth 1011. Like if you think of two numbers in a row, 10 and 11 are in a row. So I'm going to be at booth 1011. Same spot that I was at the National two years ago, next to AU Sports, directly behind Memory Lane, who's going to be showing off their game-used Babe Ruth bat that they have at their booth. So that'll be exciting. Two years ago, they let you hold it and like take a picture with it. They're going to actually be doing that every day. Memory Lane's going to be doing that every day from 10 to 1. They're going to have the bat at their booth, and you can hold it and have your picture taken with this you know, baseball bat that's like 100 years old. But anyways, so what I was going to say is come to my booth, 1011. Say, hey, Sal, I'd like a set of... Puck Junk, Bad Hockey Card, Hall of Fame trading cards, and I will give you a set. Do they have to say those exact words? No. You could just say, give me my free cards, dork. I if somebody fly. says that, do not give them cards. <laughs> Unless it's me. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's Mr. Dork to you. But not, not to you. I mean, to everyone else who's listening. Respect your but, others. Yeah, exactly. But if you're not coming to the National, but you're like, oh, damn, I really want a set of these cards because they sound ridiculous and awesome and fun. I will mail you a set. Just reach out to me. However, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, Smoke Signal, Carrier Pigeon, all of those methods. Just let me know that you want a set. Tell me your address. I'll mail one out to you because not everybody is coming to the National. Wow, you're on Telegram? I thought that was only for strippers and stuff. Oh, wait, there's a a social media called Telegram? (laughs) Last I checked. Okay, no, no, no. I'm talking about an actual Telegram. Yeah, we're talking about Telegrams that were around when we were children. (laughs) Yes, like done with a telegraph machine. Like you go to the Western Union. Right, and they send it in Morse code. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, don't send me a Telegram because I can't read Morse code. And also... I don't want to download and install another social media app, but you get my point. I do. National. So I'm excited. It's going to be back in Chicago like it's been in Chicago every other year since 2011. It was here in 2008, then 2011, 13, 15, 17, 19, and 21. 22, it was in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I went to that to set up as a vendor. I'll be setting up as a vendor People are asking me, oh, are you going to do your podcast live from the National? And I said, nah, it's too much work. Wouldn't want to figure that out. Too noisy. I'd rather just be there talking to people and selling shirts and looking around and buying stuff if the opportunity arises. But uh, yeah, like I said, I should be at booth 1011. And yeah, I'll be selling my shirts. Uh, I'll have some hockey cards and other cool stuff. I actually picked up a collection of Cubs memorabilia. Some of it dating back to the late 70s. So if you like Cubs baseball stuff, I should have some of that available. 
And uh, oh, by the way, when I sell my T-shirts at shows, I sell them cheaper than what I sell them for online. So if that you've been dragging your, your heels on buying one of the shirts, you're like, eh, I don't want to pay shipping, whatever. Come to my booth. It's going to be cheaper. Now, the big thing about the National, and I say big is like a double entendre here. The show is bigger this year. Yeah, I saw that. It went from 400,000 square feet to 600,000 square feet. So basically, the whole downstairs of the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center is going to be nothing but national. You've heard nothing but net. It's going to be nothing but nat. It's going to be interesting to see that. I mean, I looked today and it said that it's going to be in halls A, B, C, D, and F. By the way, there is no hall E, so I don't know why they don't have a hall E, but A, B, C, D, and F, like they're grading, like they're doing grades. You get an A, you get a B, right? There is no E. So yeah, so F is the new hall this year, and it's going to add another 220,000 square feet to the floor plan. And it looks like that Hall F is going to, among other things, it's going to have the autograph area now. So that's going to be... Well, yeah, it's not going to be just autograph. And unfortunately, I did download the PDF. Actually, if you go to puckjunk.com and you look at the most recent Clemente's Corner, I'll be sure to link to it. Um, He talks about the National and he links to a floor plan of the national that they provided. But of course, it's like really tiny and you have to zoom in, you know, to see anything. But it just basically looks like that Hall F is going to be like the autograph area and, you know, some more vendors. Oh, it's going to be huge. I mean, I got to tell you, when I went to the national for the first time in 2008, it took me all day just to just methodically go from one end of the show to the other i didn't do any redemptions i didn't do any raffles i didn't do anything all i did was walk the floor from one one end to the other and it took me the whole day to do it i mean i was taking my time and that was it then I, then the day was over i didn't have time to double back or anything so that's why i always tell people if you go to the national try to go for two days for years i've only done the one day and it's very difficult to go through the entire thing. I've seen most of what I wanted to see, but you know, getting into those little nooks and crannies in the corners of the different aisles with multiple vendors that are like stuffed back into like the little corner areas. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you miss those because you're walking around like all the main aisles. And so you don't head off into those, the abyss in the different areas. Plus, I generally like the one year they had they had the uh, the Olympic wing. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't do much in there with anything because I don't really collect Olympic memorabilia or anything like that. We kind of walked through a part of it, and it was kind of cool to see some of the stuff. But I didn't spend a whole lot of time in there, and I generally don't go to the autograph pavilion. So there's a chunk that I usually cut out of my path around the. Uh, venue so one of the coolest things i found at a national and it happened to be that year that they had the olympic wing i'll tell you this one guy had all this cool european hockey and soviet era hockey stuff nothing was priced yeah i'd be like how much is this he'd be like twenty dollar and i'm like how much is this twenty dollar i'm like dude he didn't really have any concept of like I don't want to say what things should sell for because he was an Olympic dealer. But like when I 
talked to other dealers who were dealing in Olympic memorabilia. Basically, the consensus was that a lot of them weren't actually dealers. They were collectors who just set up there and they were more interested in trading with each other and kind of adding to their own collection. So they weren't necessarily like seasoned sellers who are like, hey, I got to like come up with some more realistic prices if I want to make back my table. Like, you know, I buy things. That's a niche market. I couldn't see you possibly making a living having a store where you only sold Olympic memorabilia. Unless, of course, you were located in Lake Placid or something of that nature. But the one thing he had, and I'm so glad I bought this, it was a five by seven photo of, it was a team photo, it was a group shot, and it had a young Dominic Hasek. It was his first year on his Czech team. And so he was in the photo, and his teammate, who ended up playing in the NHL, Yuri Herdina, is also in the photo. I looked at that and I said, oh, that's a young Dominic Hasek. And I'm like, how much is this? And the guy's like, hmm, $20. I'm like, how about 10? He's like, hmm, okay. That was cool. Cause then I was just so geeked that like, you know, here's this photo of Dominic Hasek as like 18 or something. And it was from like 1984. So it was like a really cool thing. And that's the kind of stuff that I love finding at the National yeah, I mean, I could tell you, oh, I bought a Beehive Alex Ovechkin rookie because it was what I could afford. I couldn't afford his young gun, but I could afford his Beehive rookie. And I was happy that I bought that. But, you know, I also found things like one year I found a guy that had stacks of like uncut sheets of cards of like the Red Rooster Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers sets from like the 80s. And I think they were like a buck each. And this is like a full set. One had the Brett Hall card as a Calgary Flame. And I'm just like, a buck? Okay, sure. If you have the time to look, time is a luxury. They always say time is a luxury, and it is. And if you have the time to look, you can find some really cool stuff. And especially like, let me let me ask you if this ever happened to you. You walk by a table, it's swarmed with people. You go, eh, I'll come back. And then you forget to. I mean, all the time. All the time, right? So you get that second day and then you go, I need to hit that table. I'm going to go there as soon as I can to get there before it gets crowded. Two things happen to me, or three things. That scenario, Mm -hmm. or there's a table that has a ton of either dollar boxes, quarter boxes, or whatever to flip through. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can't get to it because there's 7,000 people sandwiched together going through it at all hours of the day. Or there's a ton of people standing in front of these tables and I'll happen to catch a glimpse through the, you know, the mass of humanity and see that what looks like the vast majority of the table is graded cards mm-hmm. or vintage graded cards. And I keep walking. You know how many times later on I've heard from people Hey, were you at such such show? Yeah. Did you see that guy that had all that 80s weird food issue hockey cards? I'd be like, no, where was he? And they'll say, oh, it was that table with whatever. He had he had all this graded stuff, but then he had this box at the back of the table that had all this stuff in it. I'm like, mm-hmm. see, see, that's, that's what happens to me. Because I don't want to stand there and look at all that stuff. I'm like, I ain't got time for this. I got to move on. <laughs> and then I miss out on it, so... 
yeah, having an extra day, like I said, I've spent many, many, many years just only going one day. And yeah, I've missed out on a lot, but I've also had a ton of fun. Even on the years where we didn't do as much circling around and going table to table, and we spent more time working through the promo stuff mm-hmm. with all of the manufacturer booths and vendor booths and corporate sponsor booths because there's giveaways all week long mm-hmm. from all of the all of the bigger vendors and corporate sponsors. You know, pretty much every one of the bigger booths is going to have something going on, some promotion, pack redemption programs, giveaways, raffles, just there's going to be so much stuff. It, it can be quite overwhelming. You just kind of have to look at what's going on, and that's what I recommend. If, if you haven't been to one of these before, take a second, go on the Nationals website. You know, if you go to nsccshow.com, and click around and look at some of the stuff. Look at the dealer list. Look at the floor plan. Look at the corporate sponsor list. See who's on it and see if some of those names jump out. You're like, oh, I want to check them out. You know, make note of that. That way you get a chance to do that and you don't have to worry about trying to find them later and, and go do other things. Because especially if you go early, you hit a lot of these places up, you'll see instead of in the mass humanity of people trying to figure it out, you'll have time to walk up and look at the signs and see what they have going on the rest of the week. So if you're there multiple days, you can get an idea of how to schedule your events out to know what you want to take part in. That's something that I do at the national. And it's also something I did when I went to the Toronto expo back in November, I basically plot out, I'll say, Oh, okay. Upper deck is starting their redemption program at noon so i want to get to their booth by you know 11:55 because they might give out packs until they sell out right when they do like the redemption program so you want to be there early not late because if you get there at the end they might run out of packs to give away so or like someone's having a raffle and you go oh, okay they're going to give out raffle tickets at 11:30 so i want to grab a raffle ticket so i always actually make a schedule of what i'm going to do oh this guy's going to be signing autographs at 2.30, so I got to make sure that I'm there. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm always, like, making, uh, well, when I would go as a buyer, you know, to buy stuff, or as a shopper, I would make my plan. Uh, I was going to say, um, Upper Deck should be doing some sort of redemption. As of right now, I haven't heard anything about it. They usually announce that pretty close to the show, and usually it involves buying some cards and opening them that at their booth and then they give you a uh like a special pack but i want to ask you because you've brought your boys to the national before have and they usually do some of the dealers or vendors or corporate sponsors do kids breaks some of them do yes why don't you tell us about they have in the past why don't Um, you tell us about those um I mean, essentially, they're they're free group breaks that they open up the kids, and you go there and you register, and when it's time, you get a team, like a random team of whatever that is they're breaking, and then they sit up there on their little stage area or wherever it's being held, and they just start ripping in the packs and whatever whatever they pull for those teams. If you're assigned to that team, you get the cards. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's just like a box break that most people would normally participate in that do that sort of thing. But they were always a lot of fun, you know, when the kids actually enjoyed 
spending time with their father. Um, they oh. would, uh, I don't want any sympathy. I live for this moment. This is the moment every parent waits for is when their kids don't care about them anymore. So we, we did the panini ones. They were doing the free kids breaks. I can't remember what year it was. I had to be in the 2010s sometime. Did they still have the hockey license? Uh, yeah, I think so. But these were all football. These were all football okay. breaks. And so the kids signed up. And then when they put them on a list, they're like, okay, you guys are going to be in the 2 o'clock football break for Panini Gridiron. Or I don't know. I don't even know if that's a thing. But we'll call it that. Uh, some set. And they would have a case. It would be a case break. So we come back there at 2 o'clock. If your name's on the your name's on the thing, the kids go up, they get their registration packet. Now, this one in their packet, they had lanyards that had the teams on the lanyards, so they knew who had what. And then they just went through and ripped the boxes and ripped the packs and pulled stuff. I think all three of my kids got something, if I remember correctly. Oh, they did football and basketball. That's right. Now that I think about it. All three of my kids got something. Two of them got two hits. One of them only got one. So, but yeah. Like I said, they're fun. I don't remember Upper Deck doing a kid's break, but maybe they have. I only think I remember it with Panini. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't. Oh, 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 tell, tell people about the, the goodie bags that Panini gave the kids. With the with the special extra special goodie that was inside oh, of it. Oh yeah, I think it was that same year that they gave the kids their their pack that had their lanyards in them, and there was all kinds of stuff in it, and including a box cutter, <laughs> which okay, fine, it was one of those safety ones that it pops back in, but still, there were like little kids, like come on, really. It's a panini I, box cutter. I, I mean, I know it's up to the parrot to take that away from them, but do you really want to put potential razor blades in the hands of kids? So probably wasn't the best thing to do, but I understand why they did it. It was a promotional thing and whatever, but yeah. Sometimes yeah. you gotta think sometimes you gotta think beyond the uh self practicality. Level. Yeah. yeah. And the self promotion, right? Yeah. Like is this appropriate? Yeah, but I still have that box cutter, actually. Oh, yeah? I don't know where the other ones went, but I still have the one um, somewhere around here. I think it's in, it's in a drawer somewhere. You know, I'm going to tell a quick story, because when you said that you miss out on things, or you don't, you, you look at a table and say, oh, they don't have anything that I want, and then later on you find out that they did. So one story I like to tell is one year at the national I walked by this guy had all he had, he had like four tables full of autograph baseballs. Like just the whole tables were just filled with baseballs. They were all in like Lucite cubes. You know what I mean? It looked really nice. It looked really tidy, but I mean, I could just look at it and go, Nope, that's signed baseballs. So that was almost like the speed lane. I would just hurry past his table because I knew there wasn't anything that I wanted to see. Not even right. like I'm going to slow down and look a little like, Oh, maybe there's something right. Yeah. The last day I'm going by his table and he has a Blackhawks Jersey hanging and it's the, the 1938 style, like kind of like what the teams wore during the 
75th anniversary season in 91-92. They've referred to it as the Blackhawks Barber Pole Jersey because it has like the red stripes the across stripes. it. Yeah. yeah. And I've always wanted one of those. And I saw that and I stopped and I'm like, how much is that? He's like, I don't know, it was like 50 bucks or something. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I've wanted one of these for like almost 30 years, you know? And he's like, oh yeah, my buddy uh, wanted me to bring it and try to sell for him. And he's like, and I just remembered to put it out today. (laughs) So he was happy that he sold it because he forgot to put it out. And, you know, I bought it and I was happy to have it. So that's just And that's another benefit of being there multiple days because you can see potentially things that you did weren't available a couple of days earlier. Like for instance, one booth that's notorious for that. And I don't know if you've ever sought these guys out, but the singles club booth, mm-hmm. they've been to the last few nationals. The singles club booth is basically just a booth that's self-contained. And instead of doing the aisle on the outside, they cut the aisle into the inside. Okay. So it's kind of horseshoe shaped and it's multiple layers of just 3,500 and 5,000 count boxes of just singles, just craziness. And they're all dollar boxes. And it's just tons and tons and tons of everything. And it's always packed with people. I mean, there have been multiple years where I think, I don't know if it was the last Chicago National or maybe the one before, but I think Burbank went in and bought like the guy's entire inventory. By the time I even made it over there, they were wheeling all the stuff out on dollies. Mm-hmm. And hand trucks. And I was like, what's going on here? Oh, that guy bought everything. I was like, oh, okay. I think it was the guy from Burbank. I forget his name. But yeah, the singles club, their stuff changes almost every day. They put new stuff out like every single day. So if you went and dug through their boxes for an hour on Thursday, if you go back on Friday, it'll probably be completely different. Yeah. And one piece of advice I'll give to anybody if you're going multiple days Dealers usually bring more stuff than they could put on their table. They almost always bring more stuff. I'm guilty of this. Like the last national, I couldn't put everything up. So I brought books to sell and I didn't have any room for them. And then one day I had room for them. So I put them out and then people are like, oh my God, a book about the Rangers. You know what I mean? And it was just like, you know, so of course it was like good timing, but like you don't know what they have. And sometimes you don't know to ask and they don't know to, you know, like sometimes I forget about stuff like, People will be like, oh, do you have any of this? And I'll say no. And then they'll walk away and then I'll look under my table. I'm like, oh, darn, I actually do have that. I just totally forgot that I had it because it was under the table and and not in my mind. Because you only have so much display space. So you can't, you know, that display space is precious. So are you going to throw what you think is going to sell out there? Of course. And you're going to have the other stuff in a box underneath. And not everybody is adventurous enough to go up and ask the question do you have dot, 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 whatever. And so they may just walk by and not do it. I think the guys that have like the sections where they have, you know, 10 foot space and they throw two or three tables in there, but then also Mm -hmm. behind the tables, they brought like their own plastic shelving Uh and they build the plastic shelving up behind it so that they have more surface space. It kind of like makes it step upward. That's smart. If you have the ability to do that. You know, because then you get more ability to display. The dealers that utilize every inch of the space that they're given have a better chance of finding something that somebody is going to gonna want. So the other story I want to tell really quick, and I want to say it was at a national, 
it might have been a national, it might have been a sports card spectacular or whatever. I, I can't remember. But I remember you and your wife were there and we were hanging out and then you guys were leaving. And then you said to me, oh, I know you're you're on a pocket schedule collecting kick. And you're like, and I saw this dealer that had these pocket schedules. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, show me, right? So you pointed me out to him and then you guys said goodbye and you left. And so I'm looking at this guy's oh, yeah, table okay. and, you know, and I'm buying these pocket schedules from like the 80s, early 90s, kind of like my wheelhouse. But he had these unused tickets for the 1992 Stanley Cup finals. And these were the Penguins tickets. So they're referred to as phantom tickets because they didn't have like a seat number stamped on them and a row number. They'll like print up these tickets and then they will, like, later on, they'll stamp the numbers on them. Yeah, yeah. these right yeah. here. Yeah, the ones that are, so these, okay, yeah. <laughs> the ones that spoiling, are behind me on camera. We're spoiling the story. <laughs> yeah, well, they can't see your camera. But what happened was, is that, so they had these phantom tickets. And it's funny because one of them was for game seven. But as you know, the Penguins swept the Blackhawks in four games. So there was no game five. There was no game seven. And so I bought, like, every one that he had. I'm like, oh, my God, these are great. And I gave you a set, and I gave my sister a set, because you two are the biggest Penguins fans that I know. And then I kept the set for myself, and then I probably have a few extras, whatever. I just I just bought them all. And I'm like, okay, game one, game two, game five, game seven. And the next time I saw you, I gave that to you. And you're like, where did you even find these? And I'm like, remember that dealer you pointed me out yeah. to that was selling the pocket schedules and the ticket stubs? That's where I got them. Obviously, people can't see, but they're hanging hanging on my uh, wall directly behind where I'm broadcasting from. So, Do you look at that and go, thank God there was no Game 7? Do you look at that uh, and go, oh, that's cool. That would have been the ticket stub if there was a Game 7, but there was no Game 7. Yeah, I'm just glad the series ended in four. Yeah. So let's talk about this new game that I'm semi-obsessed with called Puck Doku. And I say semi-obsessed because... You only play it once a day. Otherwise, I'd probably be playing it more than once a day. I'd probably be obsessed with it. But because there's only one game per day, that's all I do. I do the one game, and then I wait for the one the next day. So basically, this is like that baseball game called Immaculate Grid. We have a three-by-three three grid, like a tic-tac-toe board. And then you'll have, like, team logos running across the top and team logos running down the side. So they might show like a Blackhawks logo and a Blues logo. And where those two intersect in that square, you have to think of a player who played for the Blackhawks and the Blues. So you could put in like, say, Glenn Hall, because he played with both of those teams. And then that would give you a certain amount of points. And the more obscure player you pick, the lower points you get. So it's like golf where you want to get a low score and not a high score. So of course, you know, the more obscure you go, the better. But then sometimes there's also like statistics. So it might say 50 goals in one season or 40 goals in a season or Vezina trophy winner or something like that. You know, so like, I think one, one was like 40 goals in a season and that intersected with Washington Capitals. So of course I went with Alex Ovechkin. Well, that's a really popular choice. It was like, 70% or something gave that answer. So that blew my score 
pretty high. But then like another time, I needed to have somebody who played for the Penguins and Oilers. So my first thought when I when I saw Penguins and Oilers, I thought, well, Paul Coffey, right? Because if you think of a, an Oiler who became a Penguin or a Penguin who became an Oiler, unless we get that Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby trade to happen, Paul Coffey is going to be the most popular guy who played for both teams. You'll probably prove me wrong on that in the, in the next minute. But so that was the first that popped yeah, in my mind. I think Paul Coffey was probably the answer. But when I did that grid, I picked Ryan Whitney. Oh, OK. Yeah. But, you know, so then I thought, OK, well, Paul Coffey's a really obvious answer. So I'm like, all right, well, who else was there? OK, Craig Simpson played for both teams. I'm like, OK, who's more obscure? Ah, one of my favorite enforcers of all time, Wayne Van Dorp. So I put him in and then I got like a score of like zero point zero. Actually, it was zero point zero. And then like another one that I looked at today, it was looking for a Canuck who also played for the Sharks. And so I thought, oh, Mike Brown, who's from the Chicagoland area, who I interviewed for an episode of this podcast a few years ago. And that popped in my mind. I'm like, hey, Mike Brown, he played for the Sharks and he played for the Canucks. Because I remember asking him about the fact that he played for like almost exclusively Canadian teams, but the, but he also played for the Sharks. And he was a workout freak. And he's a workout freak, yeah. Yes. And uh, he was talking about when he when his kids would play NHL 14 or whatever, they'd put him on a line with Joe Thornton, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Like, they'd put their dad on the line with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. So anyway, so PuckDoku, PuckDoku.com. It's a browser-based game. So you don't have to download anything. It's been out for about two weeks now. Yeah, I like it. I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Any, it is any, fun. Any as thoughts? As long as you don't cheat. I don't. Those, those that are Googling stuff and looking it up and saying, I got a perfect. No, you didn't. No, you just didn't. Don't, just don't lie. You didn't. You couldn't think of anybody that played for the Dallas Stars and also the Atlanta Thrashers. So... Don't even say you did because you Googled it. Oh, uh, Carrie Lettinen. I don't mean you. I mean, I meant you in general. <laughs> I don't mean you specific. I meant you in general. Those okay. that are Googling their answers. What you asked and, for and that's the thing. There's nine on the grid, right? Yep. You only get nine guesses. You only get nine guesses. So yeah. you got to be perfect. So you got to be perfect. There's no margin for error. Uh, as soon as you miss one, you missed it. It's out. And once you're up. The- fun out of it i like not having a chance to keep guessing what did i screw up i screwed up on one the other day but i screwed up on the the stat line okay because i thought somebody did something i was positive that they were one of the people and they weren't and that screwed me up well there was there was the one where it wanted a a colorado avalanche player that had 40 or more goals in a season now my first instinct was joe sackick so was mine which is the right instinct, but I thought, oh, well, I'm sure Peter Forsberg had a 40-goal season, and mm-hmm. he did not. With I did the exact same exact same thing, uh-huh. the same thought process and all. I'm like, I'm putting Joe Sackett, and I went, Joe Sackett's going to be like 40%. I got to go with somebody less. Like, I bet Forsberg also had that, and I put it in, and eh, eh. I was like, you pizza. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, okay, so 40 plus goal season, and that lined up with Washington Capitals. So I picked Ovechkin, 
and that was 81%. So that, that was a really popular answer. And in Dallas Stars, and I picked Jamie Benn, and that was only 14%. And you know what? I'd rather get a right answer and it have a high score than, like, me try to be obscure and be, like, totally wrong. Now, I know you looked at this chart because it needed – one of the things was it needed an Avalanche player who was also a Senators player. And I think you were kind of wowed by the fact that I picked Craig Billington, who is 0.6%. So he's less than 1%. So that that kind of made up for me picking Alex Ovechkin at 81%. Did I pick Craig Billington at six-tenths of a percent? Yeah, I, wasn't um, even, I wasn't even thought of Craig Billington. Well, I will tell you my Puck Doku strategy, and it's not Googling because anybody can look up the answers and it's about stretching our brains. So I try to think of goalies first. There's only two goalies on a team. So you tend to remember them more. I could probably, well, I was going to say, I probably couldn't name the 88 Red Wings lineup, but yeah, I probably could. Cause I have this Panini sticker album, but I know that like their goaltending tandem was Greg Stefan and Glenn Hanlon. And of course they had Steve Eiserman and Bob Probert and Gerard Gallant and Rick Zombo. I mean, they had a pretty solid team. They used to give the Blackhawks a lot of hell, but I couldn't tell you who their fourth line center was. We tend to remember the goalies more because they stand out. People like goalies and there's less of them. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's easier to remember the third string goalie on a team than the third line left wing on a team. So that's kind of like one of my strategies is I try to think of goalies. Maybe it's a crutch. I don't know. Leave a comment. Let me know if it's a strategy or a crutch because now I'm concerned. I'm pretty sure John Shabbat was on that team. He might have been the fourth line center. Yeah, he could have been. He's got an 88 Topps hockey card. I probably have like seven of them. Because they had, they had Adam Oates and uh, Heiserman and Adam Graves too, didn't they? Yeah, before he went to the Oilers. We're getting off topic here. I didn't get that one. Craig Billington didn't even pop into my head. I did get Mike Gartner for the Leafs and the Capitals, mm-hmm. which was a 3%. That's, I think that's probably my lowest one I've ever had. That's a good one. My strategy is I think of my Hockey Hall of Fame binders that I have, mm-hmm. and I just go page by page in my head, and I picture the cards on the pages of the uniforms of the players. Mm-hmm. So I just do a mental picture. That's how I come up with most of them. Because most yeah. of my answers, if I can, I answer with a Hall of Famer. That's good. Yeah, and I, I answer with a goalie. So I guess both of those yeah. are good strategies. Well, and the reason I answer with the Hall of Famers, because I've noticed over the last week of doing this, Hall of Famers have very low scores. Because I think most people playing this are newer fans and don't even think of the Hall of Famers. Good point. Although I, I will say one complaint that I have, and this is a me problem and not a game problem. But I'll look at it, I'll be like, too many effing expansion teams, right? Like, one time it was Minnesota Wild and Nashville Predators. I'm like, oh, come on. They didn't intersect with each other, because I would have used Ryan Suter for one of them. But they were next to each other, so that meant I had to pick three Predators who played for whatever other team, and three Wild who played for whatever other team. And I was just like... Try to remember, like, did Manny Fernandez also play on the Bruins? I think he did. And then I just manned up and tried Manny Fernandez, pun intended, and it was a right answer. But I was just like, oh, my God, enough with the freaking 2000s expansion teams. But OK. 
Wait for the day that it's got Vegas and Seattle as a crossover. Oh, that'd be easy because that's recent memory. That I have fun with because, I mean, I remember we, we talked about those expansion drafts. No, I meant Vegas and Seattle intersecting where you have to come up with the guy that played on both teams. Oh, that would just be cruel and unusual. Yeah, because I think there I think there's might be, maybe one guy. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but there might be one. Right. So I'm liking this game and uh, I'll post my score on Twitter or I'll po- post a screenshot. And I figured out that you can actually like flag a picture for like sensitive content, even though it's not. So like I'll put it up there and I'll flag it so that it doesn't spoil anything for anybody. So people have to click the picture, but it'll say like warning, this photo contains sensitive content. Are you sure you want to proceed? And then you click it again and then it'll show my puck doku grid of like what players I picked. But uh, yeah, it's a fun game. You know, I'm thinking about like when I give my college students a test, it's online. But we use this special proprietary software that the colleges pay for it. It's called Lockdown Browser. And basically, when you're taking the test, you cannot tab out of the browser. You cannot get out of the browser. You are locked into the browser that you're using to take the test until you're done with the test. So that's how you they, it keeps students from opening a new tab and Googling answers. They should make Puck Doku run with lockdown browser so people can't get all cute and start googling things of course then they could just whip out their cell phone if they're doing it on their desktop or go to their desktop or laptop computer so it's not foolproof but yeah i mean anybody can google answers but i think it's really fun because then sometimes i'll even try to think of like hockey cards and i'll be like oh yeah that guy was pictured with that team on his pro set card or whatever so good times and if you ever get stumped, just guess Mike Sillinger. Yeah, you know, I was going to, but then I'm like, was Sillinger playing when when the when the Predators came into the league? Yeah, he probably was. I think he played for about 15 years and 15 teams. Yeah, because the thing is, if you don't know, guess Mike Sillinger. 50% of the time, you'll be correct. Well, depends on those two teams that intersect. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a square that says been traded nine times in his career. And it'd be like uh, Mike Sillinger and maybe, I don't know. I know Tony McKegney moved around a lot. I don't think he was traded nine times, though. I think he played for like nine teams. Okay, speaking of trades, we're going to talk about some of the offseason moves, the trades and the free agent signings. So you got to love July 1 when all the general managers lose their collective minds and overpay for a free agent that they're going to buy out three years later. I don't know. I feel like there were more this year than last year, but I don't, I don't know if that was the case. I just feel like there are a lot because at July 1st, moving forward, there's been a ton, but there was even quite a few the week leading into it. Teams have been, swiping guys up left and right in some of these contracts i'm like i don't know i don't know where this money's going to come from the cap went up what a million bucks for next year something like that it's going to go up more the following year so a million bucks can you do some work with that yeah and teams have obviously showed that but everybody wants to get better that's really what it boils down to you see the king at the top of the hill, you want to knock the king off the hill. So 
what are we going to do? It's a copycat league. The year the Penguins won, they won with speed. The very next year, everybody got fast. You know, many times teams, you know, go out and they, they win with a bunch of bruisers. Okay, well, and then every team goes out and gets a bunch of bruisers. Then you win with, you know, guys that can control center ice. You go out and get guys that can do that. Now we had a Stanley Cup champion that had a lockdown-type defense. So what are you going to see? You're going to see teams trying to figure out how to square off their defense. We're seeing a lot of that. So just looking at some of these transactions here, um, and these are no particular order. So I'm a fan of Ryan O'Reilly. I was secretly hoping that he would sign with the Blackhawks. I know that wasn't going to happen, but I was secretly hoping that it would happen. But he went to the Predators, so yay. Four years, $18 million. That's a little surprising. They probably had to overpay him a little. I don't see him as a, what is that, $4.5 million a year. Look, I'm not an agent. I'm not a general manager. But O'Reilly's career seems to be a little bit like winding down a little bit maybe. We talk about what it was in 2019 when the Blues won the Stanley Cup and he was the MVP until now. And he's slid back a little bit. And it gets harder to be a better player when you're in your 30s, unless you're like Martin St. Louis, then, you know, you could just crush all expectations or Chris Chelios, right? So when I saw that he was making like 18 million over four years, I'm like, wow, good on you, man. Look at the situation he's in, though. I think they're paying for past performance, Mm -hmm. really. He was like almost a point per game player like three years ago when he was on the Blues. So coming in here and centering the top line with like Philip Forsberg, that's not a horrible place to be in order to put yourself in a position to recapture that glory of, of being that kind of player again. So, you know, think about that. When players are signing these contracts, they're always signing based on past performance. Right. Future potential, but based off of past performance. We see you did this. You won the scoring title. Well, we want you to do that for our team. So we're going to pay you all this money, and we're paying you for what you already did right. to come try to do it and duplicate it again. Right. Sometimes it works out. Other times it doesn't. I'll tell you this. If I was a fantasy player, I would definitely look for Ryan O'Reilly as a value center, especially if you're in a league that's not very um, – if you're in a shallow league, I will say that. Mm-hmm. I don't play fantasy hockey anymore. So, Yeah, I run a fantasy hockey league every year, the Puck Junk Fantasy Hockey League. So, okay, Ryan O'Reilly, I'll tell you another couple of signings that I like. I'm happy for Alex Dabrinkit getting traded from the Senators to the Red Wings and then signing a monster contract four years million. Okay, so the Ryan O'Reilly signing, I was just like, yeah, that seems kind of high. I loved the Brinkett, and I thought he was great when he played on a line with Patrick Kane. Oh, like, wow. He's almost $8 million a year. He's a great player. He's an all-star. He played in the all-star game, and I remember him tearing it up with Kirill Kaprizov, and I'm just like, wow. But I see that, and I'm just like, wow, okay, uh, Good for him. You know, he's from Michigan. He's going to be in his home state for the next four years. He's going to play for a team that's not the Ottawa Senators. I'm happy for him. 
I don't understand totally what happened with Ottawa and him. That should have worked out. But some reason it didn't. I'm not really sure why. I thought he should have fit in well mm-hmm. with that team. Right. But he's going to have a really good opportunity now to make a, a big splash playing where he wants to play. Another thing that impressed me by the Red Wings is they signed JT Comfer as a free agent. And Comfer played for the Colorado Avalanche. Now, the reason why JT Comfer is on my radar is because he's from Northbrook, Illinois. So I kind of been following his career. I used to play in a men's league, like a low-level beer league, at the Northbrook Ice Arena. And they had a big picture of him in the hallway. They had like their wall of fame and they had a picture of JT Comfer holding up his first goal puck. So as I was walking to the locker room, you know, at 10 o'clock at night to play like a 10.30 p.m. game on a Tuesday night or whatever, you know, we'd pass the big picture of JT Comfer on the wall, you know, one of the hometown heroes. He's a good player. He's like quietly good because when you think of Colorado, you think of like four or five other guys ahead of him. But he's a guy that would score for them in a clutch situations. I mean, he's a solid player. And I feel like with Detroit, he's going to have more opportunity to basically grow. He was maybe like a second line or third line. But with Detroit, he's going to be probably second line. Yeah. But again, he's being paid for what he did recently. Right. That, you know, the right. 52 points last year, his career high, that was certainly what got him that contract and good for him from a hockey standpoint. I mean, you got to like what Stevie Y has been doing with the Red Wings. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those signings, the fact that he was able to kind of pluck Alex Lyon from Florida and bring him over there. You know, they got James Reimer on a one-year deal mm-hmm. to kind of be that 35 year old mentor type goalie. I mean, that's one thing that Detroit needed was a back end. I mean, they're, they're on their way for that. I've always liked Shane Gostas Bear, too. He's had issues, but between the Hurricanes and the Coyotes last year, he had 41 points. So, you know, they bring him on. And just just all those general signings that they made. Heck, they picked up Daniel Sprong from the Kraken. Where'd he come from? He was on the Penguins forever, basically buried, and then disappeared, bounced around to a couple teams, ends up on the Kraken, and gets like 46 points in 60 games or something like that. It was ridiculous. Sometimes you just need the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I really like what Iserman's been doing with the team. I mean, I'm not a Red Wings fan by any means, but if I was giving GM report cards based off of what they've done thus far, I would say he's head class, if not up there. He's definitely throwing the curve off for the rest of the guys. I like what the Carolina Hurricanes have been doing. They re-signed both of their goaltenders. They re-signed Freddie Anderson to a two-year, $6.8 million deal. I like that. They signed Antti Ranta to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. Ranta's played very well for the Hurricanes when Anderson was injured. So I'm happy that they re-signed them because I thought they were a very solid goaltending tandem. They also brought in Dmitry Orloff for two years. Check this out. Two-year contract, $15.5 million. Stanley Cup champion. Yeah. Yeah, he's older, but look, 
they needed some defenseman help. And honestly, before that signing, if you looked at what was available out there from the defensemen that were available in free agency, it's hard to argue that he wasn't the top one, if not top three, that were actually available at the time and didn't have to be pried away from a team somehow. I'm looking at you, Eric Carlson. Look at the rest of their side. They're trying to get tougher, right? But they're trying to get grit. So they signed Brendan Lemieux. What better Ooh. way to get grit? They signed Michael Bunting. What better way to get grit? Bunting at three years and $13.5 million. I look at that and I look at the Orloff contract. I mean, those are both pretty big contracts, but it's like the Hurricanes have money to burn and they lost to the Panthers last year, but all the games were... Well, okay. According to Rod Brindamore, they didn't lose. (laughs) They didn't lose. But according to the stat sheet, they lost and all those games were like by like one goal. So, I mean, it was... That's the thing. They couldn't score. They couldn't score. Right. The goaltending wasn't the problem and they saw that and they said, hey, we need to keep these goalies because our goalies are doing great. They're not the problem. But they needed help in other areas. So, I like that they're addressing that. I'll tell you one deal that I do like. I like the Keandre Miller deal where we signed with the Rangers two years at 7.74 million. They just wouldn't give them 8 million, would they? They couldn't do 8 million. It had to be 7.74, but I get it. I I, just today or yesterday or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's recent. recent. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. I like Keandre Miller. I think he's a really good young defenseman. Yeah. So that made a lot of sense. I look at that deal and, you know, I mean, he was an RFA, so they had to they had to work out something. But I looked at that, I go, okay, that's good. It's almost $4 million a year. I think he's worth that. It's a short term, so neither side is really committed. Of course, with those bridge deals, I mean, do you want to lock them up for 10 years or maybe not? You know, whenever a team signs a player for 10 years, it never looks like a good idea at the time. To the GM, it looks like a good idea at the time. You know, whatever team says, okay, young star, we could do the the second contract, you know, and make it short, or we can make the second contract long and just keep you here forever because we love you and you love us, right? I think I most, most of the young players in today's world of free agency and salary caps and everything else, they love those bridge deals. The short ones. They love the short bridge deals in between that they can go out there for a year or two, basically pad their resume a little bit, and then turn and look and get paid. Right. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. It's like Gen so. Z's in the job hopping in the in the job market. Yeah. You know, some other deals that the um, Rangers What are they going to do with Alexei Lafreniere? That's what I wonder. I uh, keep hearing rumors that he's going to go to the Blackhawks. I mean, he's a group two free agent, so that basically puts him in a situation where I think he's got to get like tendered qualifying offers from the club right right right. yes yeah so it's interesting to say the least because he's a very from the fan standpoint he's a very polarizing player i still think people need to leave him alone because i think he's going to be fine but not every ranger fan is of the same ilk you know when it's a first overall pick there's always going to be a lot of pressure anyway and in a big market like new york perceived underperformance and plus like we've talked about before the rangers have enough depth that he's not getting like the top line minutes of course he hasn't done anything to deserve that or no, he hasn't he done hasn't. enough to deserve that but 
he's also not getting that. So it's it's kind of tough when your first overall pick is playing on the third line. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Blake Wheeler signing with the Rangers? So he was bought out by the Jets, and then he gets a one-year contract at 800000 with 300000 additional in potential bonuses. Here's the thing. I think he's playing with a very large chip on his shoulder. And I think he may go out there this season and show everybody that. I like Blake Wheeler. I do too. I think he's a solid player. I did not agree with the Jets' decision to strip him of his captaincy. Same. Yeah, I, I agree. That was stupid. But that being said, the Jets are kind of a mess, and they have been for a while. So getting out of that, quote unquote, I don't know anything about it, but I'm just going to say what everybody else says, toxic environment that is Winnipeg may be good for him. And if he carries that chip with him, he may be able to use that to his advantage to uh, propel himself back into that, I don't want to say superstar spotlight, but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, More people it'll... will be paying attention and saying his name. Because, I mean, look at the, look at the, it's a one-year deal. It's an $800,000 contract for Blake Wheeler. Right. Blake Wheeler's not a, he's not a scrub. By any means. I was surprised He's, that it wasn't a million, just yeah. I- at least. Right. Based on past performance, like you said. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he's got the bonuses and everything else, but whatever. 800000 for a player like that. Good for the Rangers, that's for sure. So another 800000 signing. Uh, Jonathan Quick signed a one-year deal with the Rangers at $800,000. I'm not sure I understand that one, to be honest with you. Igor Shosturkin's going to play most of the games. So you can pretty much have anybody as your backup. You can. I get it. So Jonathan Quick, I'm not going to argue with anybody saying that he may possibly be the best American-born goalie. Just based off of body of work over time. I wouldn't argue if somebody said that to me. No, I... Tend to agree with that. I mean, I got to think. I'm thinking of other American goalies, and yeah, he's. But 37 year old, three time Stanley Cup champion, signing with the Rangers on July 1st of 2023, Jonathan Quick, is not that same Jonathan Quick. Not Con Smite Trophy winner, Jonathan Quick. He's just not. Is this a mentoring position? If it is, okay. Do you. Pay $800,000 for a mentor for your goalies? I mean, sounds like a good deal to me. It's less than you would have to pay a goalie coach, probably. No, I think the goalie coach would make less than that, I'm sure. Jonathan Quick, the backup goaltender, versus Jonathan Quick, the goalie coach? I don't know about that. I thought that was surprising, though, because he didn't really do much with the Golden Knights. and But he's he good enough at all that— all in the finals. No, and you know what, though? I, I figured he'd probably be around for another season or two. Now, what about Tristan Jari re-signing with the Penguins? Five years at 
26.875 million. So I guess that's $26,875,000. Another one where they just wouldn't give him the 27. Is he a big money goalie now? I mean, I guess technically he is because he's making big money. He's making more than five mil a season. You're going to make me answer this, aren't you? You're the resident Penguin fan on this podcast, so. Okay. I've never been the Tristan Jari hater like a lot of people are. Do I think that he's an all-star? No, I don't. Technically, he is. He played an all-star game. Do I think he's that kind of caliber player compared to others? No. But if we're also comparing to others, knowing that the Penguins needed a goaltender, who was available? I mean, really. Look at it. Were they going to sign Jonathan Quick? I thought we weren't trying to get older. I thought we were trying to get younger. That's not how we get there. Do I think he can handle the bulk of the workload? Yeah, as long as he can stay healthy. Does he play standing on his head? A lot? Yeah, he does. Does he make spectacular saves and do what he needs to do? Yeah, most of the time. Problem is, he's not always healthy. So there's a lot of expectations in Pittsburgh, especially now with Kyle Dubas taking over as the president of the team and basically running everything. So it'll be interesting to see because, honestly, if this falls flat, I could see this becoming a buyout contract quicker, like sooner than later. Because I don't know that they'd be, they're willing to wait if he doesn't perform up to expectations. I mean, look, they signed goalie Ned, too, to a one-year deal. So Nadelkovic's on the team. They gave him a one-year, a one-year deal for a million and a half, I think. So... I like goalie Ned. I thought he was pretty decent. But, you know, he played a bunch of games last year between the Red Wings and the uh, Grand Rapids team. So, but he was really good for Carolina. So I think he's got some pretty good potential. So I think Jari does better when he's pushed. When Casey DeSmith was playing out of his skates, Jari was better. Because he was kind of afraid to lose his job. And I think goalies sometimes play better with that extra pressure on them for fear of being taken out. Because they don't want to lose the pipes. Nobody wants to sit on the bench. Jari needs to be pushed, I think. I don't know that goalie Ned is the guy to push him. But I think he's capable. Let's put it that way. I'm more interested to see how this team's going to pan out considering all of the signings that they've had mm-hmm. did you see some of the people that Pittsburgh signed uh like, I, I noticed that they signed Vinny Hinnestroza to a one-year $775,000 contract so I mean there's a bunch of names on on the list of guys that were signed that I haven't heard in at least a year Hinnestroza is one of them I can't recall the last time I heard his name called to be honest with you Matt Nieto, I can't remember the last time I heard his name called. And they signed him. Nolachari. People talked about him for a while, and then I haven't heard. I didn't really hear any any people. And Lars Eller, that's the one I can't figure out. 
this isn't Stanley Cup Lars Eller. This is right, right. So I'm not sure. I like some of these signings, but I'm just not sure. Pittsburgh has a lot of things that they have to show, considering their epic collapse at the end of last season to knock themselves out of the playoffs and just set the whole the whole playoff system on its ear the way they did. So they have a lot to prove, and they're not getting any younger, and the core group is still there. So, you know, can they still win with these guys? Sure. There's no reason to think that they can't, other than the fact that I don't know that they have absolutely everything that they need to get to the point where they're going to push themselves past that first-round exit that they seem to find every year. Okay, so changing the subject, contrast Tristan Jari signing with the Penguins and then Ilya Sorokin re-signing with the Islanders at eight years, $66 million. Sorokin is an $8 million and change a year kind of goalie now. I don't disagree with that. Sorokin's one of the best goalies in hockey. But $8 million a year? Yeah. For a team like the Islanders, sure. Yeah. Did I mean, you I mean, think a little bit about Rick DiPietro, though, when you saw that news that they signed a goalie for eight years and $66 million? It's, it's certainly hard not to. Right. But also, I mean, we're not talking about a guy that was just drafted and we're going to throw a bunch of money at him because we think he's going to be the you know, second coming of Billy Smith. It's a guy that's already played for a couple of years and proved himself worthy enough to be put in a situation where he's getting paid. Because honestly, there are many, many times. I go back and forth. Is Sorokin better or is Shesterkin better? And like Shesterkin, I think, is more well-rounded. But then he'll have nights where I'm just like, what is this guy? He'll let in a ton of goals and softies and everything else. But then on those same nights, I'll see highlights of Sorokin. And I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. So it's like, yeah, he's definitely better than Tristan Jari. <laughs> uh, I don't have to even go out on a limb on that one. I'll okay. tell you that. But I think if you're going to get yourself in a position where you have to lock down that shutdown franchise-type goalie, that's the price. And then we had Max Domi signed with the Maple Leafs for, I was surprised, just one year. But I guess they're going to probably do a one-year and then renegotiate when the salary cap goes up. Because Max Domi had a really good season. He was the best thing on a terrible Blackhawks team. And then he went to the Dallas Stars and he did really well in the playoffs. And I'm surprised that it was just a one-year, $3 million kind of deal. I think it's a great signing. For the Maple Leafs. Absolutely great for the Maple Leafs. I'm surprised that it's not a longer term or that it wasn't more money. I mean, I don't know if Max Domi's a $5 million a year kind of player, but I look at some of these contracts and I go, well, maybe he is. You know, we talk about paying for past performance versus potential, right? He had a pretty good season last year, so he shows potential. But yeah, it's definitely a good deal. If he does awesome, then he can really cash in next season or the season after. Well, at least Toronto gets another Domi on a jersey. Yeah. And then you had Tyler Bertuzzi also signed with the Leafs. Ryan Reeves also signed 
with the Leafs. So this team's getting a lot to look. You get a lot tougher with Ryan Reeves, but I mean, even with Bertuzzi and Domi. The Leafs mean business. They don't want to be, they don't want to be bounced anymore. They're sick. Right. They're trying to find something, anything. And their fan base is just, they've had enough, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think these are bad signings. I don't think these are like, wow, they're just really pulling at straws here or anything Mm -mm. like that. These are still solid, viable players. Plus, I mean, you're also adding some offense to the back end. You know, they signed John Klingberg, too. Offensive defenseman. I got to bring up the Corey Perry trade and subsequent signing with the Blackhawks because I'm scratching my head on that one. And I'll tell you why. Is he a great player? Yeah. Is he at the end of his career? Yeah. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but who knows, right? We've been surprised by some of the other Hall of Fame picks in the past. The point I'm trying to make is, is he still capable of playing in the NHL at 38? Yes, absolutely. Is he worth $4 million a year? I really don't think so. This is what I don't understand. The Blackhawks traded a seventh-round pick to the Lightning to get the negotiating rights to Corey Perry. So they could negotiate with him prior to July 1. So you see that a lot, where teams will trade a draft pick for the rights to the player who's on a contract that's about to expire. And that basically gives them like a head start on negotiating a contract with that player. Now to that player, they go, oh, wow, that team just traded a draft pick for my rights for the next three days because then my contract expires. They must really want me. I like to be wanted. Okay, I will listen to what you have to say. Okay, you're going to pay me this much. Cool. I'll do that instead of testing the waters where that might not work out. The guy is 38 years old. The Blackhawks give up a pick to get him. And then they pay him $4 million. Now, I get a seventh round pick. You're not going to get many NHLers in the seventh round, although there were NHLers who were drafted in the seventh round. But my point is, is like the Blackhawks could have just waited until July 1, called his agent and be like, we'll pay you $4 million to come play with us. Or they could have traded for him and then say, hey, how does $2 million sound? Assuming he'd still been around at that point. What do you mean? What if somebody else went and picked him up? Oh, no. I mean, if they traded for his rights and got him. Oh, you meant still traded for his rights, but didn't negotiate until after the fact. I guess here's the thing. If you're going to overpay for a player, you do that on July 1 when their phone is lighting up with offers, right? Yeah. Or if you acquire their negotiating rights a few days before their contract expires, you can work something out in that span. I look at that and I go, wow, the team is really trying to get to the cap floor because they're paying Nick Foligno $4 million a year and they're going to pay Corey Perry $4 million a year. And I'm like, wow, that is like two of the highest paid fourth liners in the league. Look, Bedard's got to play with somebody. And he needs protection. Taylor Hall. Okay. And there's where Corey Perry comes in. But I would have rather signed Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves, I mean, is he the best enforcer in the league? If that's still a thing, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'd take him on my team if I needed to have an enforcer. So I, I mean, he's certainly getting... a personality and he adds that aspect to the locker rooms of every team he goes to. I mean, I would have rather have had Ryan have Reeves say it. at. million a year, 1.4 million a year instead of Corey Perry at 4 million a year. I don't know. 
again, I'm not a GM. I'd love to be pleasantly surprised by this. I'd love to look and go, wow, this was a really good idea. This was a really good signing. But then again, when the Blackhawks acquired Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury and a couple other players, and it was looking like they were really trying to like turn a corner and be good, and then they weren't, and everybody was ex- had high expectations for the team, and they didn't meet those expectations, and then they got rid of Marc-Andre Fleury by the end of the season. But you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you look and go, wow, this is going to be great. And then it's not great. And other times you go, oh, my God, this is terrible. And then we're all talking about how great it is years later. It's like when the Blackhawks acquired Patrick Sharp. Nobody was really talking about it until a couple years later when all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, what a steal. Not saying that Corey Perry is Patrick Sharp in his prime, but what I'm saying is that Players can still surprise. Players can still contribute. I just wonder, other than toughness, what is he contributing at $4 million a year? And again, is that paid on past performance? I don't know. I mean, obviously, he thinks he has gas left in the tank. The Blackhawks think he has gas left in the tank. They think he can contribute something. I mean, I guess we'll see. It, it, I was puzzled by it, too, but I'm chalking it up as... They dismantled their team. They have the best pick in the draft. They have a potential of having another Crosby slash McDavid slash Ovechkin type player on their team, but they have nobody for him to play with. So we got to stock the shelves with something, even if it's only temporary. Right. And so you get guys who've played in the NHL a long time and know how to play in the NHL and versus putting them with a bunch of rookies. It'll be interesting. I think everybody that's on the, we got Connor Bedard. We're gonna make the we're gonna win the Stanley Cup next year. Those fans, they can go back in the holes that they crawled out of. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. That's not gonna come anywhere close to happening the first year, for sure. But it was kind of a puzzling thing as well when I saw that too, because I'm like, uh, okay, whatever you say, guys. You're, you I, know better than I do. I do like the Ryan Donato signing at $2 million a year for two years with the Blackhawks. I do think that was a good move. Yeah. What do you think Pat Maroon playing for the Wild now? I think that's interesting. Yeah, he just won't retire, and that's okay. I like Pat Maroon. I thought he was going to be a, a lightning player forever. Seemed like it, yeah. And then Milan Lucic going back to the Bruins for one year at $1 million. Yeah. There's been talk of that for a while. I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. All right, well, I think we should wrap this up. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please give us a follow on social media. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at The Real DFG. Also consider buying a t-shirt at the new Puck Junk online shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Puck junk. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.